0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com. Cancelo,
1: se tiraba bien ahí Shaka, como siempre, a no hacer
0: prisioneros. El suizo que mira, mira, mira ahora como se se encaraba con
1: Cancelo porque le cuesta la tarjeta roja. Chaka La tarjeta roja La tarjeta roja es para Manchester City 5, Arsenal 0, Arsenal 0, Arsenal 0, Arsenal 0, Arsenal 0, 0, 0 this is Arsecast Extra.
0: Hello, and welcome to another Arsecast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you.
1: Good morning to you too, Andrew. It's a badly morning again. Mm-hmm. It is. It's. It's. I mean, to be honest, it's so bad. It's almost badly jingle-worthy, isn't it? Like it should be like uh, some scary sad, or sad music, like I Ar- Inaudi's piano just badly mourning over and over again.
0: Well, you know I, I have to say that uh, you won't have heard this yet because we're recording and, and look, I, how could you have heard this other than, you know, to appear in my house and peer over my shoulder at my computer, which, you know, happens in your dreams, I know. But in real life, I have just created a, an intro to mm. the podcast, to you know, because... I like doing the intro musics for the podcast when we win and when we score goals and I can make like upbeat Pepe disco remixes and funky Nacho Monreal things and Kieran Tierney being magnifique. I love those, but we haven't had a goal Or anything to celebrate, you know, a piece of commentary that I could use. So I did find some commentary from the Spanish broadcast of the Arsenal Man City game from the weekend. And it's some sort of ominous clown type music playing in. And maybe maybe that will suffice for now. You know, if we're sitting here in a couple of weeks time and we still haven't won a game, maybe we'll just do a live composition on air. Like you get, uh, I don't know, a biscuit tin and I'll get a recorder and we'll see what kind of sweet, sweet music we can make. How about that? I mean, that
1: sounds appropriately (laughs) discordant. Yeah. It does, Uh, yeah. uh, Yes, well, I'm glad the listeners had the benefit of that um, fitting accompaniment to uh, what I think we can describe as a horrible match. (laughs) Yeah, it really
0: was horrible in every sense you know the way normally even when something you know a game doesn't go your way your performance isn't great you can sit there and you can say well look that was bad that was bad but you know there was a little bit of positive there there was a you know some slight encouragement there blah blah there was literally nothing about saturday that was in any way redeemable there wasn't a single single positive and i'm not you know trying to um let's say those couple of little bursts that Emil Smith Rowe made I mean that's him being really good and that's not to say that uh, I'm downplaying any of that but you know just collectively it was it was dismal it was disheartening it was worse than I thought it was going to be I didn't think it was going to be good I didn't think it was going to be good No but none I, of us did. I didn't
1: think it was going to be that bad Yes, it's quite impressive to um, fail to meet such low expectations. <laughs> I mean, I think most of us, and, and I think many would say, well, isn't that an absurd situation in itself, um, were very much consigned to defeat. Um, but defeat on this scale... And actually, you know what? It's not even the scoreline, really. I mean, the scoreline was bad, but... It, it, really bad don't get me wrong yeah it 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 was just kind of the sort of nature of the game you know like i think you can even lose 5-0 better than we did (laughs) like do you know what i mean you can make more of a fist of things um i think like we were worse than west brom were against us in the week at least they were children you know, they, they have children, some kind yeah. of excuse
0: and aren't in the, the same division. Think of those Aaron Ramsdale, mate. Yeah, but they aren't even in the same division. And I, I think you're right. It, we were worse than that. But they have some mitigating factors. And I know, like, we've got players out and I know all of that. But, you know, I thought, uh, let me just say something. Get this off my chest. I never, ever want to hear Pep Guardiola talk again about how great Mikel Arteta is, particularly after a 5-0 defeat. I never want to hear him go, he's so, so good, you guys, he's so good. But, you know, he was saying, you know, trying to make an excuse, oh, they have eight or nine players injured. He's got uh, Ben White, and, and, and then he couldn't think of anyone else before Thomas Partey came to mind. And that was kind of it, really, you know? I know mm. there's a few, but like, We do have injuries, and those are uh, things that every manager has to deal with and every manager has to contend with throughout uh, their entire career. Um, It doesn't excuse or explain the the sort of passive, non-competitive nature of this fixture, which was, to my mind, there are many bad things about it. I'm sure we're going to talk about them. But to my mind, that that was the worst one. It was just so, we were just toothless, pathetic. Mm. And I was left feeling at, at the final whistle. You know, i am been around the block a few times, James, uh, particularly with Arsenal, and uh, it's very, very, very rare for a defeat to impact my mood for the rest of my day or the rest of my weekend, the way that one did. Like, right. I felt really unhappy. And that mm. might sound completely reductive, but, you know, normally if we lose a game, okay, look, that was shit, but, you know, I can put it to one side. We're hardened uh, professionals. Then. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's broken through this veneer of, of hardened professionalism, this titanium shell of, you know, I genuinely felt really downhearted, and dismayed by what I'd seen and what had happened, and what the wider repercussions of that mm. were. Um, I mean, at one point, you know, had it not been my job, I think I would have just switched off and gone outside. Oh,
1: me too, hundred percent.
0: You know, and that—that that I think that that realization really had a. A profound impact on me for the rest of the day you know because it was like I'm supposed to like this I'm supposed to mm-hmm. even if it's not great and you 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 go into a season you support a football club, you expect ups and downs, but I really just wanted to switch off and have nothing more to do with it for the rest of the day um which you know is not possible and I'm not complaining because I love what I do, I love my job et etc et etc but that was literally how I felt during that second half.
1: How do you feel about talking about it now for an hour and a half? (laughs) (laughs) Slightly better. I mean, you just want to go outside. Yeah. Just want to forget all about it. No, no. I tell you what,
0: I got a text off Elliot who said, do you want to do the instant reaction part? I said, no, "No, thanks. No, (laughs) no, thank you. I really don't. (laughs) Good luck to you. Fair play. And good luck to you. But no, absolutely not. Because I think, uh, yeah, I just, I could, I literally couldn't have done it. It's not to say I wouldn't, I would have gone on and, and not let rip or vent it or whatever, but I just literally could not face the prospect of, of talking about it at, at that point. I'm better
1: now, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would have been the same, I, I think. Uh, well, I, you know, as you know, I do my sort of post match uh, video mm. and it's, oh, it's tough when you really lose heavily like that yeah. to find the motivation. But, um, yeah, it, it was bleak, and I, 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 my personal reaction is that like I, I'm sort of I can take it Arsenal being bad, but actually, what really gets to me is like what that creates, the kind of. Well, I completely understand it, all the anger and negativity and, you know, because my sort of social media timeline, like it or not, is quite a sort of big part of my life. And so like when I open that up and uh, it's just like everything I read is is horror and dismay and. Um, that's a problem for me. I think I sort of like mm. resolved to basically not go on Twitter for the rest of the day and that was sort of my way of compartmentalising it and not having to continue to engage with it. Yeah. Without that, I think it would have really got me down. Yeah. It, it was... Yeah, it was really bad. I mean, it was very, very difficult. I'm full of admiration for anyone who wasn't professionally obliged to watch till the end of that game because it was so over and there was so there wasn't even really a realistic prospect that Arsenal might get a consolation goal. You no. Know? I mean, look at the possession stats for the second half. I think we were in the night, it was City were like in the 80s or 90s, weren't they? For I think we had, possession.
0: was it 8% possession in the second half?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, mean, that's I'm, almost unprecedented uh, yeah. to borrow a Michel Arteta phrase. Um, well, he's doing in a lot of history.
0: <laughs> unprecedented stuff. Um, you yeah. know, uh, yeah, I mean, that that I think sums up what was so disheartening about it is that like you can, everyone would accept that when you're down to 10 men against a team as good as Manchester city who play in the way that they do, and they do play in a very specific way with a lot of possession anyway, it is going to be more difficult than it already is. You won't find anyone who would argue against that. Nevertheless, we as Arsenal fans have experienced in the past when we've played against teams with 10 men, and I mean the opposition have been reduced to 10 men, they have been um, more difficult to play against than we were. Like it was so unbelievably easy for Man City because I think, and this might come back to something we were talking about last week, that this prevailing acceptance that we could get nothing from this game I think feeds into maybe the way the players perform. Are they uh, they uh, blind to that, unaware of that? You know, this this idea that okay, well, look, the first three games of the season, let's get them out of the way. Hopefully we'll get a win against Brentford. We didn't. Uh, but Chelsea and Man City, they're going to beat us. So let's not even try. You know, I, I think there's there's something in that. Um, and the way that we played was just, it was, it was really bad. Really
1: yeah, bad. I, I do wonder if that kind of resignation does permeate in some way.
0: Yeah, that's what players. I meant. That's a nice way of putting it, all right.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's... The thing about going down to 10 men, I think, is fair. Like, you can definitely acquit yourselves better with 10 men. I think the timing of when the red card came kind of played into it because, uh, you know, had we lost a man at nil nil, say, I think um, we would have felt... (laughs) You'd like to think that there was something to play for. Mm. But, you know... I think we were 2-0 down. It's hard. There were so many goals, but I think we were 2-0 down when Xhaka was sent off and um, the game already fell over and the red card completely sort of compounded it. It was like, I think as soon as the first goal went in, the life was sort of completely sucked out of Arsenal. And I think Jamie Carragher was on commentary and he pointed out that, you know, Arsenal's tactics in that first 10 minutes or so seemed to be around pressing high and trying to prevent Edison playing out from the back with ease. But as soon as Man City scored, the entire team just collapsed yeah. into their own third. It was quite incredible to see happen.
0: That, that that image of Edison standing there on the edge of his box with the ball under his foot, with Arsenal players just standing, looking at him. Mm. And he's standing, looking at them going, well, well I'm not going to do anything. Why would I do anything? It's up to you guys. I mean, I don't know what that was or where that came from. It cannot be a game plan to allow that to happen. And it was happening, I think, even uh, when we had 11 men, you know? So, yeah, there was something, like you say, the life got sucked out of the team because of the first goal. And, you know, uh, we could talk about the first five or six minutes, which, you know, um, it is ridiculous to say it, but I, I, I do think they were you know, relatively bright, particularly in uh, relation to what happened next. But, you know, it. it if you're looking for Arsenal to no, start a game quite, you know, you're looking for us to start a game with, with something about us, right? Just mm. something. And I think there was something. I don't know that it would have lasted. I don't know that the, the team selection, which we're going to talk about now, would have stood up to, um, well, it didn't stand up to any kind of scrutiny because, you know, City scored after eight minutes. But those those uh, early um, opening stages were not bad. And then as soon as we let in that first goal, it was like, well, we're getting beaten now, so let's not do anything.
1: Yeah. I I I, I agree it's perverse, but I did think the first five minutes were pretty good. <laughs> I think I even texted somebody and was like, uh, oh, I'm quite surprised. This is actually... Okay, uh, and, and there was a sort of adventure to the way Arsenal were playing that I didn't anticipate. Um,
0: yeah, I sent a text to uh, Lewis Ambrose after the game. I said, "Please don't do a tactics column for this one," and he said, "I don't think we get much interest for how Arteta masterminded the opening four minutes at Man City."
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking back now to see if I uh, to see what I said. It was it it'll be something incredibly. Uh bad oh there you go, twelve thirty six. Quite a good start from me. And then the next one Uh-oh. thirty seconds later. When does the fucking up begin? And then twelve thirty eight. Now. There we go. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, you could write the script, couldn't you? I think I said in the live blog, like, I wonder how quickly Man City will score their first goal. Uh, I was, you know, thinking maybe two or three minutes, but we got it as far as eight, so I guess we can uh, take some positives uh, from that, some encouragement from those opening eight minutes. Let's talk about the lineup, because I think uh, it it merits some discussion. Why are we playing Saeed Kalasinac? I know there could be more to that, but I think that's just a wider issue. Why are we playing, say, Kolasinac as the left centre-back in a back three while there are other options available to the manager? Why are we playing a guy who reportedly spent all of last week trying to get Arsenal to pay off his contract so he could join Fenerbahce on a free to go hang out with his his buddy again? What is going on here? And do you think... Let me... Uh, put something to you that I think mm. is relevant to this as well. Because, look, he could have played Kieran Tierney at uh, left centre back and played Nuno Tavares as the left wing back. I mean, that mm-hmm. was an option to him. This is a player that we have signed, a player that we signed that we like more than Kalasinach, who we gave away. We gave him away in January leaving us with no left back. We would rather have no left back than even have him in the squad. And now he's starting against Man City. And like, what does it say about Pablo Marie, who I think has had an iffy start to the season? I don't think he's, you know, really there. But what does it say about your squad that Pablo Marie is sitting on the bench, who's a natural in that position, and you're playing a guy like Kalasinac with all the stuff that surrounds him, I mean, it's, a sh- it's, it's not going to do much for his confidence either, is it?
1: No. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think in the last couple of weeks, I've found myself saying, I think, you know, maybe you should go to a back three. Or, um, you know, I think uh, I think we should probably drop Pablo Marie. And then when I saw the lineup, I kind of had my head in my hands. And was like, no, not like this. <laughs> this isn't, I, I didn't mean this. I mean, I was at West Brom on Wednesday to watch Natch play at centre-back. Mm. and I did not leave that game thinking, I hope to see more of that at the (laughs) end. He wasn't atrocious. (laughs) Yeah, he wasn't atrocious, but he just, you know, he he didn't look comfortable. But I have to say, uh, so yeah, I think it's really bizarre. I think your point about why did we not play... Tavares is a great one. I think you can look at, you know, if Kolasinac is available for selection, then why isn't Ainsley Maitland-Niles available for selection? I, I, you know, I think there's every chance um, that he's going to be on the move in the next day or two. But so is in all likelihood. So I don't really see why it's one rule for one and one for the other. I don't believe that Mm. Maitland-Niles wouldn't have done a better job either as left or right wing back than Cedric Suarez, for example. Um, so yeah, that was all baffling and bewildering. The other thing to say about the back three, it was really interesting. I was at the game um, on Wednesday night. Mm. I was, I, I, There was a, someone I knew was there, who's not an Arsenal fan. And I spoke to them afterwards and was like, what did you make of it? And one of the first things they said to me were was that cha- they were like Chambers and Holding they aren't up to much. Mm. And it, I only bring it up because as bad as Kalasnatch was, I'm not sure he was even the worst player on the day in that back three. I, um, yeah, I agree. And, 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 and I sometimes feel like it, it takes a, a neutral or an opposition fan to tell you sometimes things about your own team that you may not mm. be fully aware of or fully... Uh, taken in, and the fact that after West Brom, a game which we won six 0 you know, someone said to me, "I don't think is holding her up to the level." And then you see what happens at the Etihad, uh, and you sort of can't, you, you know, you have to question that and, and, and sort of interrogate that. Yeah,
0: you know? yeah, no, I do. Th- I think, I think that's a fair point. I, I don't think Kalasenec was our worst defender on the day, not by some distance. I just think it's the the wider. Um, you know, what his selection means about what way we have constructed this squad. And I think the Kolasinac selection opens up the William Saliba conversation again, because if you're... How could it not? Yeah, exactly. The only reason or the only justification for sending William Saliba out on loan is if you've got players who are better than him. Right. Mm -hmm. If he needs to develop, he needs playing time. I I think we can all understand that. But the only way it makes any sense from an Arsenal perspective is if we have got players who are better than him. And when you're playing, say, Kalasinac in a back three against Manchester City, it just does not stack up. It does not. Mm -hmm. You know, even Pablo Marie. So you know I, I that's a conversation maybe for another time because i think we've got to focus more on this game but you know it all feeds into uh, into that sort of wider issue of how our squad is being built and and all the rest and, and questions for mikel arteta questions for for edu about you know why they're sanctioning those kind of moves so
1: yeah i mean i mean pablo marie you know who's seemingly been deemed unusable in this game you know the signing of Marie and the signing of Cedric, yes, Raul Signet was at the club in that period, but so were Edu and so were Mikel Arteta. Mm. Uh, and I don't think, personally, I don't think we can attribute those to one man. You know, people, multiple people have to sign off on those deals and they don't currently reflect well yeah. on, on, the, on the two eyes of I mean, the club. You know, I,
0: I think, uh, and this is not trying to defend Arteta here because he's picked these players, you know, he picks them in the team. He played mm-hmm. them, played Cedric you know, against Chelsea and Manchester City. This is a guy who was basically the fourth choice right back in preseason. Somehow, his first choice. And I know there are maybe some extenuating circumstances, but you know he's playing against the two best teams in the country. Arteta get is right to be criticised for selecting them. Um, I do think, though, given some of the background with those deals, uh, I, I reckon that there's probably more on. Ralph Sanyahi and Edu Mm. than Arteta when it comes to the signings themselves. But when it comes to playing them, when it comes to picking the team, that's on Arteta, obviously, because, uh, you know, he's the man who does that. And there's no outside influence uh, in that regard. So
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I just think, you know, it's tempting to sort of look at the squad and um, say, well, this is all you know, this is all down to mistakes mm. from long-gone regimes. And, and I don't think that's true. I think there are people in the club who are responsible for some of the shape of the mm. the, the roster, as things stand. But yeah, I mean, it was... It, the match thing is de- definitely difficult to understand. Um, really difficult to understand how we've sort of ended up in that position. I mean, in pure, you know, what would I have done terms? I think I would have had to put Tierney into that back three. Yeah, played somebody else, be it Tavares, be it Maitland-Niles, be it whoever, as a wing back. You know, yeah. you've done that against Manchester City successfully in the past. Yeah,
0: you won an FA Cup fucking semi-final.
1: Yeah, fuck's sake. Yeah.
0: Um I mean, beyond that, what what did you make of the midfield,
1: such as it was? Interesting. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of granite shacker. Um, on his own, as far as I could see. And then Odegaard, Smith-Rowe and Saka kind of ahead of that. Um, you know, in, in possession, in attack, it was almost like a four-one-four-one with two mm. pushing up really high. I, I mean, I have to be honest and say that in that first five minutes, as crazy as it sounds, I was like, look, this is something, you know, it's interesting, interesting. Um, it, they appear to be under the sort of instructions to try and prevent City playing out from the back. When we got forward, we had numbers in attack, and we, I think, down the right flank a couple of times, we made them look a little bit vulnerable. I, I wasn't. Um, it was. It was. It was. It had its problems, but I was like, at least it's uh, sort of front footed. But of course, once they took control of the game. Um, it was a real issue and they you know they began to find yeah. space around Shaka very easily
0: mm. we'll come back to Granite Xhaka I think it was a weird really weird team selection and maybe it was impacted by the the loss of Pepe overnight who was ill and, and what have you but uh, I, I just don't really understand why you would play Granite Xhaka more or less on his own in a midfield against the kind of midfield that Manchester City possess and the way that they play I don't know what he thought he might get from Granite Shaka, you know, in terms of his ability to cope with that. So, uh, like I said, well, it's, it's,
1: yeah, it was especially odd given that Lukonga didn't play in the week, you know, he, and has been good, and has been good, and didn't play in the Carabao game. And you thought, well, that's because he'll start at the Etihad. Um, yeah, it was it was curious, I have to say, and not something we've seen. Is it was a brand new. Shape and system, as we've kind of become mm. accustomed to seeing from Arteta in these Man City games.
0: Uh, just b- b- before we move on, I'm seeing David Ornstein uh, tweeting that uh, Everton are in talks with Arsenal for a deal to sign Ainsley Maitland-Niles uh, yes. on loan with an option. On loan to with buy. an
1: option to buy. They've made a bid, and Arsenal are considering it. Is right. the current status of that? Okay. But you know, you know, I don't. You know, I almost threw that into the conversation when we were talking about playing maitland Lars at wingback, but I don't think Kalasnach is any less likely to leave. So, yeah, yeah. I, I still think if a player is ours and we're in the midst of an injury crisis of sorts, which we kind of are, you, you need to pick him. Mm.
0: Yeah, look, I, I think this is a, a strange deal, but there you go. Um, right, look, let's talk about the goals... I suppose we might as well talk about the first two anyway, because I think they're worth talking about. Um, I
1: think they're the important ones, to be honest, because there was no game after that.
0: Yeah. So first one, look, I think the cross is too easy. I think uh, Callum Chambers, who had like that day he got roasted by Jefferson Montero has gone down in infamy. It's a scar on his career. And I think he was worse. I think he was worse against Man City than he was against Jefferson Montero, because at least at that point, he was a a fairly young uh, guy playing at right back, which isn't necessarily his strongest position. And he was up against a guy who had experience, who had more pace and who just had probably the best game of his life that day, Jefferson Montero, because I don't know where he is now, but... I thought he was really bad, Callum Chambers. The sort of performance, we talked about this, didn't we, about Pablo Marie last week saying, it's the kind of performance that sees you get dropped. But, you know, if it means playing, say, Kolasinac, uh But uh, it is the kind of performance that sees you get dropped. He, he should be winning that header at the back post. How Gundawan got about four headers in the opening 15 minutes how do we make Manchester City's tiny attackers look like fucking Peter Crouch?
1: Yeah, I remember Raheem Sterling, you know, nodding one in last season. Chambers was bad against Brentford, let's not forget, and got himself dropped for the Chelsea game. Yeah. Uh, And I agree he was worse in a role which you would sort of imagine would suit him, right side of a three centre-halves. It's probably his most natural fit in a team. Um, This was a really... Really bad performance. That first goal, it was one of those goals. You know, sometimes you see a goal and you just think, that looks wrong. Like, that yeah, yeah, shouldn't yeah, yeah. have happened. The, the, the cross was so sort of high and looping. You know, something has to happen there. Leno kind of moves towards it, then goes back. Doesn't really get himself in a great position, I don't think.
0: Do you have any Chamber- criticism of him for that?
1: Kind of. I mean... There was a good question about Leno, so maybe maybe we'll okay. talk about it then. But, I, yeah, I, I do a little. I do a little. I feel like... I actually think if he'd been really decisive, the cross was so looping, he probably could have mm. got a punch to it. But he just didn't really commit one way or the other. As for Chambers, he just misjudges the flight of the ball. I mean, mm. completely misreads it to the extent that a guy six inches shorter than him sneaks in behind him and scores the header I mean it was an embarrassing goal to concede and again this is not to excuse the manager but you sort of can't legislate for how bad that defending was um, it was really really awful as it was I thought on the second goal too yes
0: okay uh, I, I think that's a fair point Um I think a manager is right to expect better from experienced defenders. I mean, Calum Chambers is what, 26, 27 now?
1: He's played a lot of Premier League football, yeah. He's
0: 26 years of age. He's going to be 27 in January. So, you know, he is, um, I suppose, in his prime years. He's played a lot of football. He's played in midfield. He's played at the back. He's played at right back. He's played a centre half back post header, that is bread and butter for a, you know for a Premier League defender. You should be winning that header. You should not be beaten the way he was beaten. Um, the second goal, I think, is really quite interesting, and I think we have to say here that um, I'm not trying to make any kind of excuses for us, for what we did or didn't do on the day. We've said repeatedly uh, at this point, and we're half an hour in, that we were bad, really, really bad, and we were but I do think there's a conversation to be had about that second goal because Chambers gets a dig in the face in the build-up to that goal.
1: yeah, And he yeah, yeah.
0: goes down, as I think any player who gets a dig in the face would do, particularly in an era when we've got VAR, when we've got video referees who are looking at every available angle of every available incident. um, And I think that is a moment which could have potentially changed the game because if VAR had looked at that and decided that Chambers being punched in the face is a red card for who was it? Was it Cancelo? I can't remember who it was. Whichever defender. Laporte maybe. Um, one those guys. One of those fuckers. Like, there's a good case to be made that that's a red card. And that the goal should not have stood. So it's not to excuse anything we did before or after or anything like that, but I think it's not unreasonable to feel aggrieved at that decision.
1: I don't think it's unreasonable either. I think, you know the sort of punditry of like, you know, you just play on there is is a man that classic. Up. Be a man. Yeah, it's that classic thing of Arsenal sort of being vulnerable and being an easy target. I think Last season, that goal gets chalked out. There's absolutely no doubt Mm. in my mind. I generally am sort of pro the uh, raising of the bar for VAR intervention. Mm. So I don't want to be too hypocritical, but I was surprised actually that that one wasn't overturned. Mm. I I think it's clearly a foul. I actually, personally, I wouldn't ask for a red card there. Like I, I, I don't... Why not? It was sort of... Because... It's sort of just handbags, you know? Yeah, but it's I mean, like...
0: it is kind of handbags, but it was like a deliberate sort of dig to the face. I mean, you can get a red card, as Granish Acker did last season, uh, for sort of m- very mildly raising your hands to the throat of an opponent. So, mm. you know, I, I, I don't I necessarily want to talk about refereeing consistency because there isn't any, but like if one thing is a red card... I don't know why that wouldn't be a red card, even if they've sort of um, shifted the the threshold for what might be considered a decision that they can overturn or not.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I think if you're you're judging it by kind of the general standard of what constitutes a red, I think last season maybe that would have been. Um, But yeah, I I was surprised about that. As for what follows, uh, it just looks really ugly. And it's funny, isn't it? You know, Every year pre-season happens and we're like, well, don't, we know, we can't read too much into pre-season. But from the very start of Arsenal's friendly games, they've looked vulnerable on set pieces. Mm. And so it has proven in the Premier League. I mean, I think we have have struggled in those scenarios. We conceded from a set piece against Brentford. We conceded from a set piece here. Um, Yeah, really disappointing. I mean, the way that Man City took the free kick...
0: And they, I think I I could be right, I think they had three men standing there going, well, well, why aren't they coming towards us? Mm. And we Mm. stood there, and eventually somebody made a move towards the ball. The cross came in. Cedric did a little pirouette, deflected off him into the path of whoever the fuck score. Was it Torres, uh, Ferran Torres, who scored the goal? Um, One of those fuckers, anyway. Uh, It's just... passive um, I don't know how to describe that defending or where that comes from where does that come from in a professional team like is that not a scenario that they will that they have worked on you know if they take a free kick I mean it's again it's bread and butter stuff close down the man with the ball push out I don't you know it's just really bad
1: yeah it was pretty hapless stuff um, and that's actually sort of one of the kind of thematic things that's most troubling me at the present time, is that, you know, I did feel that one of the things Mikel Arteta was able to do when he came into the club was provide organisation and structure and a degree of defensive solidity. Mm. And it it does feel... And I'm, I'm wary of sort of drawing this conclusion too quickly because we're only three games into a season, but it does feel as if that has really slipped. Um, and without that platform, without that kind of foundation, uh, you do fear for the team and, and certainly for the manager.
0: Mm. So we're 2-0 down. Mm-hmm. And the, the likelihood of getting anything from the game is slim. Yeah, Really slim. Very slim, yeah. Yeah. Like, basically non-existent. Particularly when you concede two goals the way we conceded. Like, if you make Man City work for their goals, okay, you've been pulled apart by some brilliant play, a piece of individual brilliance, two pieces of individual brilliance, maybe. Who knows? But when you gift, basically, two goals to the opposition like that... Well, in the
1: space of five minutes as well... Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. You know, the the dust had barely settled on that first goal and how bad it was, and we concede one that's equally as pathetic.
1: Um, we actually almost get one back, don't we, through a Smith-Rowe blocking
0: was that. That. Oh. that was at 2-0, was wasn't it? That was, again, yeah. Ederson. you know, Smith-Rowe closing him down, the ball squirted a, a, across the line. Um, But, you know, weird things happen in football keep it 11 versus 11, go in at halftime, reorganize, blah, blah, yeah, blah, I mean, blah. Let's you know. say
1: that ball cannons off smith and goes in the net. You yeah. know, suddenly there's uh, at least a glimmer of hope. Mm. But
0: going down to 10 men makes the whole thing fucking academic. Academic. Mm. And, I, you know, at halftime I was like, I wish
1: there was a way we could just sort of concede
0: the game. We don't have to play the second half.
1: Well, yeah, someone was <laughs> saying, like, if we get enough people sent off, I think it just gets ruled as a 3-0 win. Yeah, um, yeah that the, was kind of the best outcome <laughs> for us.
0: Maybe, but then, you know, we would have some issues going into our next game against Norwich if you're getting, you know, six... Depends who. Six Depends guys. who we get sent off. <laughs> yeah, well, true. Um, Granite Shaker.
1: Yeah. Granite Um If only there was some sort of parable about Scorpions... You know what I mean, <laughs> I like mean it, it, it fits so aptly to Granite Shaka. Granite Shakra is always going to be Granite Shaka, isn't it?
0: Yeah he is. that is the reality of it. We should know this by now. There is a pattern of behavior that is inseparable from him and his existence. Mm. you know it just it, it just will always happen. It's happened every season that he's been here. There's been one or two moments, sometimes a bit more, but, you know, usually one or two moments in a season where he loses his head, does something stupid, and the team suffers as a consequence of that. And Mm. I know we differ quite a, a little bit on this one in terms of the red card. I think you feel it's maybe a little bit harsh, um, and yeah, I, I do.
1: I do think that.
0: I do. I know what you're saying, and I think we had a conversation on WhatsApp. Like, it's very much a um, an away team red card for a player like Granit Xhaka. Yeah, you know, there, there's a cocktail of ingredients there which make it quite a specific red card, if you like. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to think th- it's a definite reg I card. I think it's don't a definite. Well, I think
0: because of all those things, it's a definite red card. Like, I don't want to talk about the the inconsistency of refereeing decisions or, or other tackles, you know, and I know we do the whole, well, if that was Granit Xhaka, that would have been a red card, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of true, though, that if it's Granit Xhaka, it's more likely to be a red card. So if you're Granit Xhaka, <laughs> behave <laughs> yeah. accordingly. Do you know what I mean? Well, the baggage is real, Well, exactly. adapts
1: accordingly. Exactly.
0: So I think, you know, if you go jumping in with two feet, even if by the time you get the ball, you've got a leg underneath you and you've you've taken the ball and Cancelo, you know, does a bit of theatrics or overreacts or whatever, like I can see that. But he did go in with two feet off the ground. It's a reckless, pointless... Stupid challenge to make away from home with a referee who you know would be quite happy to to give you a red card because of who you are. You are Granite Jacker. Granite Jacker knows he's Granite Jacker more than anyone else in this world. So mm. I just have no sympathy whatsoever for him. Um, I think it's it's just dense, and I don't think we can have any complaints about the red card. The only thing that it does is give a chance to Albert Sambi-Lukonga in the next three games, which I hope he takes. I think it's just yeah. fucking shit again too, yeah. from Shaka, And I, you know, coming, what, like a couple of days after the contract extension got announced, it's like, why are you renewing the contract of this guy?
1: What is it you well, think, think he's going to bring? you? Yeah, to be honest, that's kind of what I think. I, I sort of think it's... I think it's kind of not really f- fair of us to be annoyed at Granite Xhaka because he is just Granite Xhaka. Like, he's always been like this. He's going to have good games. He's going to have an incident that makes him overly emotional and he does something stupid and then he'll have a few good games again. And, and he, yeah. That's the pattern of his career. It's kind of the responsibility of other people to make the decision on him.
0: Yeah. That's what I think. That's fair. But I think we can also expect... Some personal responsibility to take hold in Granite Shaka as well. Like, if <laughs> you know what I mean, I, he has to yeah, be accountable. He a has to be. Player,
1: I agree, but how's he going to change? He's not going to change. Just don't fucking jump in. Just, just stand up.
0: That's all. That's all he had to do was just kind of stand up. He didn't yeah, have to do yeah, anything yeah. like. Um, fundamental, just like, just don't do that, you know.
1: <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but he, uh, I, it's like saying, it, it's it's like asking him to be something he isn't. Uh, like sensible. It, 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 he yeah. Well, <laughs> t- partly like, if this had happened once or twice or even three times, I'd be like, yeah, I reckon he can curb that but there's no part of me that believes that he can or will and that's sort of the problem of the player is that it, he does offer a lot of positives but he'll always do this he will all, I I guarantee you he will always do it I, I, there won't come I, a time when he <laughs> stops yeah I, no. I i agree
0: i agree but i also think that um in some ways, removes him from the equation when I think, you know, there, there was an article doing the rounds, wasn't there, on Twitter over the weekend with, with uh, Arsene Wenger saying, well, Granit Xhaka shouldn't tackle, really. Uh, my advice to him... <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. genuine. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. My advice to him is uh, stay on your feet. Don't go jumping in. And that was, I think, in his first season with us. So I think, you know... As much as you're right about him and the character of him and that this is something that he is always going to do. And if you, as a football club, um, continue to pick a guy who is always going to do these things which hurt you at key moments in games. Um, and I know in this game, it's probably a lot less impactful than, let's say, something uh, that, mm-hmm. that happened in the Burnley game last season, where this he had his hot headed moment in a game when we were on top, we probably would have gone on to win, but all of a sudden we're down to ten men and then, you know, we're fucked. So it's not quite the same in a game that I think we were going to lose anyway. But he has to, at twenty-eight years of age, demonstrate even the slightest willingness to learn and to 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 change his behavior Like, this idea that, well, you can't take it out of him because that's just who he is. You know, I do get it, but, like, that's... The player has to take some responsibility for this as well.
1: I know what you're saying, but he won't (laughs) change. Like, you know it as well. I know it. I know. And the thing is, certain players have that, that kind of hot-headedness. And generally, um, like, some really great players have had it and Mm. you kind of forgive it because you're like, wow you're a truly great player, you know? So if you get sent off a couple of times a season, that's something we're prepared to live with because mm. of everything else you contribute. Grant Shacker obviously is not that quality of player, but he is that type of personality and it will never, in my opinion, go away. Maybe when he's like 50 or 60 and like his testosterone levels decrease, that he'll get over this kind of problem of hot headedness and emotional reactions. But I just don't see it now. And uh, by the way, on the tackle, mm. like I accept the red card. I can completely see it. I do think I do, if he was sort of corrupt, like if he was lunging, he is lunging to the ball, not the man. And he is on the ground by the time he arrives at the ball. I don't think he was trying to do the play. No, I don't think so either. Uh, but I, I think he was trying to do that. Do you remember that Thierry Henry thing where he like... This is a very extreme example. It was against Liverpool, I think, where he made like a sliding tackle where he sort of flew across the pitch for about (laughs) five yards. Do you
0: know the one I mean? The one where he literally jumped in the air.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I think
0: Thierry Henry was lucky to avoid prison for that, let alone a red card. It was fucking...
1: Yeah, but he's not... Again, he wasn't going... He was trying to get to the ball in the quickest route possible, right? He wasn't trying to... He wasn't trying to break a bloke's leg, I don't think. But I also think there was a lot of frustration in it, obviously. But can I just say the paradox of Granit Xhaka, and no one wants to hear this today because everyone hates Granit Xhaka today, and I understand why. But the paradox of Granit Xhaka is him getting sent off against Man City ultimately didn't matter. Him being absent for the next three games may matter quite substantially. Unless Albert Savio Lekonga does really well, and I hope he does, and Thomas Partey is fit, the paradox of Granite Fucking Shaka is that for all the stupid stuff he does, we often end up missing him when he's not there. Do you think that this r- latest red card incident
0: for Granite Shaka should spark something in the hierarchy? when it comes to what remains of this transfer window and our midfield
1: well if it sort of if it does i feel like well then you made the wrong decision keeping him because i could have told you this would happen ding 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 correct yeah like yeah if you're surprised by this i don't know what to say to you like people may like shaka or dislike him they may accept him or not but we are all agreed, I think, that this is predictable behaviour. So if you're the decision maker and you can see that, you can't have any gripes when those chickens come home to roost. You know, I, and I think that doesn't mean 100% you have to sell Granite Shaka. That's the only right outcome to, for this summer. There, there is an argument that where we are as a club, we benefit from having him the 30 games he's not mental in. But you can't... Yeah, you can't be surprised. And if it was up to me, would I bring in a new central midfielder? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, But I don't... I don't know that that's going to happen. And I I don't think that you could... You know, when we talk about deadline day deals, most of the time, those start a week before the deadline. And in some way, shape or form. So I don't really think it's massively possible to kind of see what Shaka did on the weekend and think... We must buy someone and be able to get someone who's actually of the requisite quality in time. I think that's unlikely.
0: Yeah, because. I think it's unlikely too. And, I, you know, again, I think the it comes back to the decision to keep him or not accept yeah. um, some money for him, um, a player that we really should have moved on from uh, and certainly should not have given a contract extension to. Um, leaving aside... Whatever people think about him as a footballer, these moments, these pieces of idiocy that happen just far too frequently to to commit to for another two or three seasons, whatever it might be, I just don't, I don't get it. But there you go. Yeah.
1: That's and they were, and the, and I to come back to what we're saying, they won't go away for the duration of his contract with us. He will vacillate between. Mm runs a form where he appears quite important to the team and then doing something stupid. It, it just, well, i will be very, su- mm. extremely surprised if we're not having this conversation again in a few months time.
0: Me too. Me too. Um, and it will be no less frustrating then as well. Um, Right. Look, will we take a break? Because I know we haven't really spoken a great deal about Mikel Arteta yes, and there are a lot of questions yeah. about that. Um, so I think we should probably take a little break, come back and do that in part two.
1: Yes, let's do that. Anything else from that game you want to talk about? or? I mean, honestly, no. Like no. I, The game was just over at that point. I know Arsenal could have fared better and you can make more of this with 10 men, but they didn't. I don't really see what value there is in attempting to analyze that. Mm. No, I agree. I agree. I
0: mean, I don't want to relive any of the goals <laughs> or anything no, like that. No, no, Or endure, you know, memories of that second half. So let's leave it there. We'll do that. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arseblog and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arseblog member on Patreon. Now, we've done 45, 50 minutes on this without really discussing the manager in any great detail, and obviously he is under fairly intense pressure. So we have a couple of questions. Um, one from James O'Donnell, who's at S... H. Midlerzist, miller I don't know, I can't pronounce that, Schmidler's list. I could do this all day, actually. Um, he says, uh, morning gents, I know emotions are always high, particularly after a bad game, and nobody thought we would beat City, but the manner in which we have lost and played has been atrocious. If Arteta, were, if Arteta was sacked this morning, do you think there would have been any backlash? And Phil Costa asks, uh, at underscore Phil Costa, do either of you believe in Arteta turning things around? If yes, why? If no, what are we doing here? So fairly uh, fairly easy ones for you to get your teeth sunk into there, James. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Um, I think that he, last season, did actually manage to inspire some sort of turnaround from what I truly believed was an almost impossible situation death spiral yeah I mean it really was like death throws stuff and yet he kind of stabilised the team from there which makes me I'm not saying he made the team world beaters or anything like it but he definitely stabilised the team which makes me think it may be possible to do so again as bad as these three games have been It is three games. He did win the final five matches of the last Premier League season. So we are talking about a run of three games here. I I think that he will definitely get more time. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I said, if he is sacked before the Norwich game, I will live stream me eating my book. I (laughs) 100% swear by that. I will do that. Um, I will be allowed condiments. Is the only sort of caveat I'll make to myself to help get that paper down. It's a lot of pages.
0: It is. But um, eat the audiobook would be my recommendation. <laughs> um, it's
1: just, a USB, a, you, a, real- just <laughs> a USB key. That'd be a real way.
0: Just a USB key, little tiny one.
1: Swallow it in one. Um, I, no, I think he definitely will be here, and I think that the club have kind of given themselves an interesting, not problem. Well, maybe problem. Basically there's been a, a clear pivot from the club this summer as regards the strategy for the squad building. And when taking that decision, they presumably also had to consider do we think Mikel Arteta is the right man to oversee this squad mm. and it's you know, a young squad that we're gonna to put together with a kind of long term view. And they did take that decision seemingly, you imagine, in the summer that, yes, we are going to persist with this manager. We're going to make him part of that project. I don't think they will throw that out after three games. And I I personally think that's right. Um, but I do think that these results and the nature of the results, more so than the results, mm. the nature of the performances, of course create a huge amount of pressure and I I also have a feeling that kind of as soon as a manager has had a bad run um, it creates so many doubts like the doubts that were created in that run last winter haven't been expunged for many people and I think every time there is setback or a series of bad results or a complete hammering like we saw at the weekend those doubts will resurface. And in a, in a way, it's like they're kind of chasing Arteta. And I, I fear that sooner or later they will catch up with him. He needs a really strong set of results coming out of the international break to regain some trust from the supporters. I kind of think he probably still got it from those upstairs, but... From the supporters, you know it's kind of as weak as it's ever been. Do you
0: think there would have been a backlash if the you know, if there was an announcement?
1: No, I don't. I don't either.
0: I don't. Do I uh, believe in Arteta turning things around? I kind of compared Saturday's game on the blog on Sunday. I compared it with the game that we played at Manchester United in 2016, and. I think. What was that? That was when we lost 3 2. I think it came after we beat Leicester. Leicester And, you know, we were there or thereabouts in terms of the title. And for me, that was the game where, look, I think obviously everyone had, um, doubts about what was going on with Arsene Wenger and his ability to, um, achieve what we expected him to achieve. I think just Mm -hmm. being clear about that. And that was the game that kind of just put the nail in the coffin for me. And the Man City game felt a little bit like that for me Mm -hmm. when it comes to Mikel Arteta. I think, I mean, he used the word unprecedented more than once in the last few days and i, I we're in a, a situation or he's in a situation where it would be basically unprecedented for a manager to turn it around fully like i'm not saying he can't achieve results i understand the logic as well um you know of it's only three games. I mean, we had, uh, just to sort of give it a little bit of balance here, um, on the Discord, Alan Harbourn says, is everyone blowing this out of proportion? We were never going to beat Chelsea and City, and Brentford maybe should have been called off. Real test starts now. I see it. I see that. I mean, I do. Um, But the reality is, we played really badly against Brentford, Of course, there are mitigating circumstances. We were poor against Chelsea. We were even worse against Man City. I think it is the nature of the defeats. Like if you get beat by Man City, but you at least give them a test. You try or you're competitive. You know, I think people people can deal with losing. People can deal with defeat if they can see that their team is competitive, it's trying, it's organized, it's trying to play football in a a certain way. I really feel like none of that is there. And to me, that is the big, big worry. You know? I know we've got players missing, but do you... You know, can you really say Gabrielle? maybe Thomas Partey gives us an extra dimension in midfield. But... Beyond that is Gabrielle and Ben White and Thomas Partey. Are they the the pieces that are, are going to make all of this click and come together and be cohesive? And all of a sudden, we'll be playing football the way we want to see Arsenal play football. I'm not sure that that's the case. So i i I think you're right. I think he is going to get more time. I think when a when a club gives a manager 130 million pounds. In the transfer market, they're willing to back him, but I also think there's a there's a need to deliver when you've been given 130 million pounds. You don't just get to say, "Well, it's going to take six months or nine months for us to start playing." Um, you know, even if you are building something, and and there's logic in saying, "Well, this is going to be a project that's going to take a certain amount of time." If you're sitting bottom of the table. At the end of September and you haven't won a game or you haven't scored a goal, then the situation becomes pretty obvious. And I think that's where we are. I think I think Arteta's got September to save his job.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably true. But but you know, I think if you're asking me if I think he can, I think he can. Because the games lend themselves to that.
0: Well, yeah, let's look at them. We've got Norwich at home, Burnley away. There's a North London Derby taking yeah. place on... There's
1: another League Cup game as well. Yeah, a League Cup game,
0: place. yeah. North London Derby, which is taking place on my 50th birthday. So if they fucking wow. lose that, I'm telling you. Um, then we've got Brighton... Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, Leicester, Watford before we play Liverpool. So hang on, let's see here. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Like what is an acceptable return from those eight games that would lend you or make you think we are going in the right direction?
1: Is that eight league games? Eight
0: league games and a, a League Cup game.
1: Well... He's got to beat Wimbledon in the Cup, of course, but I'm sure they will. Um, from those seven league games? Eight what's league that? games, I think it is. Oh, eight, seven. One,
0: two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Before we play yeah. Liverpool. Uh,
1: what's that, 24 points? Yeah. I think he needs to be... Uh-huh. It's hard to say. I'd have to sort of look at it more closely, but I think he needs to be around kind of seventeen, eighteen.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, something like between eighteen and twenty would be promising. You yeah. know,
1: uh, yeah, over two points a
0: game is where I, I think we need to be averaging over two points a game from those fixtures.
1: Yeah, for it to I, be I respectable. So. You know, I, I don't think it's accurate to say he has to win all those games, but you know, he, he needs he needs two points at least per game. And I think um, the Spurs game looms large simply because mm. you know certain defeats hurt more than others, um, and they've started the season very effectively, uh, which rubs some salt into our wounds. Yeah. But I, I, the thing is about these big defeats; it's, it's interesting. Like we used to be a team or a club. Basically, I, I have a slight suspicion that they hurt more than they matter. What do you mean by that? Because- because I remember the days under Arsene Wenger where we would sort of semi-regularly get tonked for four, five or six by teams like City, Chelsea, Liverpool. You know, I remember seasons where we lost 8-2 at Old Trafford, we lost 6-0 yeah. at Chelsea, we lost 5-1 at Liverpool. And I think I'm right in saying that in all of those seasons, we finished in the top four. And I, I basically think that while they feel agonising and they're humiliating and there's no getting away from that the way the league basically works is that if you beat the teams who you're better than you'll probably be okay like I don't think we're gonna get in the top four but you know we'll probably get where we need to be if we win the games we should win like Brentford Uh, yeah exactly (laughs) but so, so that's what it's on for me like it was horrible to lose 5-1 a 5-0 sorry 5-1 but flattering. <laughs> to um, <laughs> making up constellations, but um it was horrible to lose 5-0 to city but if we beat norwich burnley palace watford whoever else you listed there will look so much better and it, and it and it it will it will qualify things a bit you know i, I just think that as fans they they're, they're horrific experiences, but it is only three points that we lost yesterday. Sure. I or get that.
0: But I, I think it does come uh, back to the nature of what we're doing and how we're doing it and how we're playing. And there's not much to get behind. No. You know, there's not much to excite people. Um, you know, we don't take any shots, so we don't score any goals. Uh, You know, this is a comment more than the question from the Discord from Emile smith row your boat uh, who says, Going into the Chelsea game, I expected us to be beaten quite comfortably against City. I expected us to be swatted aside, as we so often are. Despite preparing myself for disappointment, I still found myself angry at both displays. Do you think our disappointment, despite our attempts to rationalize our current predicament, is a case of the heart triumphing over the head, or is it that, no matter how low we set our expectations, this team, Arteta especially, is failing to meet even the most basic expectations of a serious outfit.
1: I don't know. Sorry. I don't know the answer to that. Mm. I think um, I think that we're suffering from a lack of uh, causes for optimism, essentially. Like, it, it was a long summer, you know, Mm. The, the biggest break in domestic football um, that we've had for some time, and we had a very set, a disappointing set of preseason results, which included losing to two clubs we would like to think of as rivals. We've opened the Premier League with a series of very disappointing results. Again, losing to two clubs uh, very comfortably that we would like to consider as rivals. Um, there, you know, there is not a lot to hang your hat on. There's not a lot to feel good about. I've seen the question asked a few times, you know, have we improved this season? And the answer is, well, no, of course we haven't. Like, we've lost three games. We've not scored a goal. We're bottom of the table. Mm. Um, I I do just personally believe, and I know people say, well, look at his whole time with Arsenal. And that's a separate question. But I do personally believe that three games is too small a sample to make a decision on this season. I just do especially given the other circumstances surrounding those games if you want to talk about do I think Miklarteta's the right guy over the course of two years or 20 months or whatever it's been Mm. uh, then I think you can have a a more interesting debate about that but uh, I also find it hard to get sort of excited about talking about the manager going when I think there's no chance of it happening you know it Mm. feels like It's just speculation. Uh, The the real question is, can we win the next games? Because he is going to be here for them.
0: Mm. Don't you think? Oh, no, I think he is. I think he is. And, you know, uh, I I want him to win the games. I want him to win the games. I want Arsenal to win the matches. Um, I just think there comes a point where, unless you start to deliver whatever backing you have been given, whatever faith that there is in you from on high, you you just can't escape. You can't no. escape the reality of the situation that you find yourself in. And that is what Arteta is going to have to do um, you know, over the coming weeks anyway. And I'm just looking at those fixtures again. There's another sort of break after the Watford game. There's an international break
1: at the end uh, after that game. So... And when's that? When's that? 6th of November. Yeah, I mean, that's when I think we'll really be in a position where if Arsenal haven't improved, they might make a change. Uh, That's what I think is realistic. And I'm not saying that. That's not information. That's just my assessment of the way Arsenal operate. Mm. You know, the faith they have in Mikel Arteta. He isn't going anywhere before then unless something you know, really dramatic happens, right? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I yeah, I think I think that's personally I think that's um, sort of apparent. Like as I say, I don't want some fucking person clipping this up and being like James McNicholas says, guaranteed, Michel Arteta's here till November. That's my opinion. I don't know what they're going to do, but yeah, I don't see it as a realistic prospect that he goes. Any time in the next few weeks, certainly not. I think September's massive, like you said.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't if you don't deliver in September, I don't think you get the chance to deliver on those other games, which are we're looking at those fixtures as as winnable. But if you can't get past Norwich and Burnley, and the
1: Derby goes wrong, like there's just yeah, there's there is a bare minimum. Kind of as the yeah. question said. I think people are willing to get on board with the idea of we've taken a development path, we're going with the younger players, we're, it's a mid- to long-term project. Mm. I, think, I think people aren't, don't hate that as an idea. What they hate is losing games. <laughs> and there is a minimum that you have to deliver in order for people to kind of swallow that um, strategy. Mm. And we, thus far, we haven't delivered it. If we'd beaten Brentford, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I guarantee you, because we'd be going, oh, okay, yeah, we're miles not as good as City and Chelsea, but Mm. didn't we play nicely against Brentford? And it's Norwich next, and we'll probably beat them, and we're about the sixth best team, and there you go.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I differ slightly. I think if we had beaten Brentford, it would be a slightly different conversation, but I do think the manner of defeat, and the manner of the performances is playing a big part in this as well. Because I think there would be more understanding of defeat if it were competitive or if you could see what it is that we are trying to to build and how we're trying to play and all of those things. And I think the the lack of clarity around that is playing a, a significant part in the doubts that people have about the manager. It's not just yeah, the yeah, results.
1: Yeah. but But also, like we can't show like people must realize you can't show well it's much more difficult to show your identity and the way you want to play against superior opponents like that's that's i agree the issue i agree like we've had against city and chelsea
0: we're not going to go and uh, go to the Had and dominate possession and play you know arteta's Guardiola
1: Whatever Arteta is wants yeah. to do, and yeah. I accept. I don't. I'm not 100 sure, but it's not an easy place to show that.
0: I do think you can demonstrate greater organization, greater character. I know these are soft factors, and people don't like to hear about them. But commitment, competitiveness.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Not not fucking run about a bit, but like genuinely trying to compete with them or to uh, implement a game plan, which makes life difficult for a team like Manchester City, you know? And mm. that's where I think that's where we've fallen
1: down. I, I, I know what you mean. I just think, um and it doesn't matter. This is, again, like a <gasps> stupid hypothetical, but if, if we had beaten Brentford and we had three points on the table and it meant that we were in mid-table, not 20th, and, you know, it meant that it wasn't our worst league start since the 50s or whatever it is – I do think that after defeats to City and Chelsea we wouldn't be saying, are they going to sat the manager? Now, it doesn't matter because we did lose that game and mm. that is where we are. But I do think that the the mar- the sort of when the sample size is small, the margins are fine. Mm. And you know, after the more games we have uh, the clearer picture we'll get, but I do. Uh, but equally, to go back to the question that said, "Would we think there'd be any backlash if Arteta was sat?" You know, we both said no. So yeah, th- that also tells its own story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think. I think the reason that there'd be no backlash is partly um, th- that a lot of people would feel it was justified. There are a lot of people who lost faith in Mick Altetta a long time ago and aren't going to get it back, and. I think a big part of it also would be the sense that, well, at least it feels proactive because our fears about the club and about the ownership is that they are slow to react to things. Mm. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. 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 Can I ask you another question um, just while we're on it? Um, Richard, who's at R underscore Gooner says, are we still blaming the owners? They financially backed the manager. Does the blame lay at the feet of Edu Arteta and the
1: board? Depends what you think of the strategy. I mean, we keep saying they've spent loads of money, and that's true, but we have to also think about what they've spent it on. And they've chosen to buy young players that for the most part aren't ready, like aren't going to play in the first team this season. So, and I don't believe that's Mikel Arteta's choice. I, I, I think he might be on board with it, but I don't believe he said to them that this is what we're going to do. And guess what? They're all going to be on lower salaries. Like <laughs> This is my master plan to save the club.
0: Okay, okay. But who who is coming up with that strategy? If we look at the club and like we have owners who don't know football, we accept that. Mm. Mm. We have a board that sort of, is no longer the traditional board. Mm -hmm. We have a technical director whose work doesn't really stand up to a great deal of scrutiny. Mm. We have a manager who, from the start, has come in and said, I'm going to do things my way. Mm -hmm. I'm going to change the culture. There are going to be non-negotiables. There's going to be Mm -hmm. this. There's going to be that. He's dealt with difficult situations. He's maybe made some tricky situations even more difficult by the way that he has dealt with them. Mm. So is it not reasonable to assume that he is in no small part behind the strategy that we are going on right now? To me, it's it. it doesn't make sense that he would not be one of the driving forces behind this. Like, how do we, how do we, you know, maybe he's convinced them, you know what I mean? Maybe he said, look, this is the way we're going to do it, and it's going to be painful, and, you know, we're going to have some teething troubles, and maybe we're not going to get where we need to get to as quickly as we would like. But if you back me with these young players, as they have... And you know we know that certain of the uh, certain um, signings this summer have been very much players that he wanted. Mm. I mean, is it not reasonable to think that this is something that they have said? Oh, well, okay. In the in the absence of anyone else at the football club with football knowledge, with football expertise, we don't have the the the, the genius technical director or sporting director who is driving the direction of the club. It seems to me that this is coming from Arteta and that the club have said, well, we've done the old guy thing and that's been expensive and
1: shit. So let's do this. I think uh, it's a big, for me, it's quite a big leap to say it's coming from Arteta. And he's actually saying the contrary. If we choose to take him at face value, he's saying the new direction was explained to me by the owners and the technical director. Now... (laughs) if what well, you don't believe that I'm I, I think he I think he Bear is in mind, Arteta's the manager who last summer wanted to sign William. he is the
0: manager I think the key word there is the manager he is not a head coach he's not the guy who's sitting down passively go oh, which players are you giving me he's involved he has to of be course, involved. Of course, the, he's
1: involved with the players, but I don't think he's involved with the strategy. I don't think he in so, 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 decides the strategy for the entire club on his own. Uh, that's that's really not what I understand from the situation.
0: I, I don't think it's on his own, but I don't think he can... Like, I don't... I just don't believe that he isn't uh, fully involved with the direction that the club is taking. And let me let me... Be clear about this. I think it's a welcome direction.
1: I think Yeah, it's, I think it's good.
0: I think it's a direction that, you know, whether people are into Arteta or not, I think after um, years of doing bad transfer deals and sort of patchwork quilt squad building, most people, whether they think the manager is the right guy, the wrong guy or whatever, would say, well, at least there appears to be, A, a plan, be a sort of measure of cohesion to how we're doing it. Uh, you know, we're trying to build something. I, you know, I think people can see that. And also, they can see that, like, if it doesn't work for Mikel Arteta, what we're doing uh, can exist outside of his sphere of existence, if you know what I mean. So we're not buying, you know, uh, let's say, a manager came in and says I want this player, this player and this player because this is the way I want my team to play. It doesn't work for him and all of a sudden you're left with players who don't suit the next manager who come who comes in, right? It's not to say all of these guys are going to be the favorite of whoever's next whenever that happens, but you know, you're you're you've got a young squad that is relatively future-proofed. You're making an investment now. You're looking for it to come to fruition, it, you know, over the coming seasons, I, I, I think that's a good plan. So I don't quite know why he is sort of saying all of a sudden that this is like slightly separate from him.
1: I don't, I don't buy it. But 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 he's not saying it in. A, he's not. Well, from what I, the clip I saw, he wasn't saying it to wash his hands of it. He he's saying I accepted it and I'm part of it. I, I'm not mm. saying he's not part of it, but I think the club have taken that direction i don't see what making him responsible for that does because it's like well we think it's a good plan don't we yeah like so what are we going to do sack him for it <laughs> like I, I if it is his respons- if it is his responsibility then it's something he's done well no well i mean that remains to be seen Right like, okay the, the, well yeah okay. we withhold judgment till we get results
0: Well but, of course but, but wow. I mean the the the, the plan uh, you know in in isolation is a good one The execution right. of the plan depends very much on the quality of the players that you've brought in to be part of that plan and you know we haven't so, seen yeah, enough so, yet so,
1: you know that's So what I would say is he is responsible for the execution like he makes the choice on the player mm. I don't think he sets the parameters that, that's, my, that's my understanding of the situation. Okay. And so you can be like, he chose the wrong goalkeeper or he chose the wrong centre-half. But I don't think you can say, well, I personally, I don't think it's fair to say Arsenal have taken a decision to go with under 23 players. Um, that's Mikel Arteta's fault. I don't think that's true. All managers want experienced, first-team-ready players. This is the manager who bought Thomas Partey. This is the manager who bought Willian. He would still be doing that if it was up to him, in my opinion. But he's not. Now, I happen to like the strategy. I think it's good. I think that Arsenal are correct. They cannot buy Rafael Varane. They cannot buy mm. Jaden Sancho. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo. Stuff like that it is, is beyond them. So... They have to do this. They have to do it to change the profile of the squad, to redistribute the salary budget in a more sensible fashion, Mm. to create players that have resale value. The the unfortunate consequence of that is like, there isn't a quick fix. Like it's not, it's, you know, I I read so many people saying, well, we'll get Antonio Conte in. Antonio Conte doesn't want to do that job. No chance. Mm. I agree with that, yeah. Antonio Conte doesn't want to come in and work with Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale for the next three years he wants to go and win the league tomorrow so we have to be realistic about what the parameters are here like we all want Arsenal to get back into Europe ASAP and it should be this season but like what are we expecting like we get a new manager in and we're going to challenge or something like it's not going to happen no no
0: I agree. I agree with that. It is the reality of football, though, that for all the rationalization that we can make about a plan, about a strategy, about time and rebuilding, the visceral emotional reaction to watching your team play badly, not score goals, lose games, usurps that.
1: You know no, sure for sure and that's what we see and that's why running a football club is really a mental business because the rationality and logic only has so much place but I think yeah I I think that um, what I would say is this if if the situation or the sort of antipathy to Mikel Arteta among the supporters becomes so toxic and so substantial that there is no choice but to replace the manager the last thing I want Arsenal to do is pivot in direction and be like bring me Willy-Anne again yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah. I... The, for the first time in ages the strategic path in my opinion is correct so i i i just i just worry about you turning so early into what i think is actually the right direction yeah but i mean the right
0: You know, the right direction, we can continue in that direction
1: with... With a different coach, With a different driver or, you know... Yeah, and, and that's true. That is true. Like, maybe Mikel Arteta isn't the best person to guide this young squad. But what I would say to fans is, even if it's not Mikel Arteta, if it's Graham bloody Potter or whoever it is because it's not going to be Antonio Conte, in my opinion, Um, it will still be really difficult. Like, and it will still take time. And there'll still be games we lose for years. No? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, but that's football.
0: That's football. That's, I mean, that's, you're going to have to accept... uh, yeah, nobody's saying that we should win every game or anything like it. I don't think that's true. I, uh, what's the phrase that, that's cropped up um, over the last sort of 18 months? Direction of travel. Mm. I think that's more important than ever. Mm. Right now, the direction is bad. We need to um rechart our course and, and start heading...
1: Um, but is the direction bad like that. that's what I'm saying like, well
0: we're bottom of the table with no points and no goals I mean in this very short term the direction is is bad we've sort of fallen down a, a pothole we were you know ambling along yeah, the street yeah, and yeah. now we've fallen down we've got to get up get going again but on un, on un, until people can become convinced that there's a consistent direction of travel those doubts will remain
1: yeah I suppose but I, what I'm saying is I understand the debate over the coach but like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like don't sort of go, well, it's all fucking shit because there is, there is, they are doing things smarter, better. And I I do think that, yeah, okay. We're bottom after three games, but I do just think that there's a sort of, don't be granite shacker. Don't lose your head and dive in. You know what I mean?
0: It's a long season. It is. It is. And we've got to win some games. Um, I think we've kind of talked this one out. And we're 35 minutes in. I think we've only done one question or two questions. So, yeah, I, I, I know where you're coming from. I think most people will understand where you're coming from as well. Um, but, you know, results will dictate what happens. And that is the simple fact of football.
1: So They will. They will. But I don't want to get pulled into this thing where it's just like... Everything's a crisis, you know. in 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 three weeks' time, if we if we're still bottom after like six games, okay, fine. But it's three games. It is only three games. We'll probably lose a dozen games this season. Mm, I hope not.
0: That would be improvement on last season when we lost thirteen, though. So just a regular dozen rather than a, a baker's dozen of defeats, but. Um look yeah yeah okay uh have you got a you said you had a question about burned leno so let's let's do that
1: Uh, i don't think it's worth it honestly i don't i think we've sort of covered it haven't we the burned leno no just everything i think like (laughs) it seems mad to now be like oh what about burned leno burned leno doesn't matter (laughs) have you talked
0: yourself into an uh, existential crisis here
1: No, not at all. I I just feel like it seems weird to go back to my new show. It's sort of like, oh yeah, Bern Leno, could he have done better? I I don't really care about that very much. I sort of think this question of like, what are we going to do? Are we going to fucking tear the Emirates Stadium down or not? Is is, is much bigger. I I do think that like, yeah, I, I feel quite strongly we need to sort of I, I literally feel like as a fan base we're guilty of the exact thing we castigate Granite Shaka for. Just piling in. It's 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 weird. I don't think it's that weird. I don't Well no, it's normal. It's what football fans do, but yeah. I I suppose like I just think there's no realism about where we are. I, I really feel like the expectations are <laughs> Like I'm not saying the expectation should be that we get beat five 0 against Man City and don't have a shot or whatever, but I, I just think it's it's such a difficult environment in which to work because people are like people people aren't realistic. Would yeah, you you must know this. Like we must we all know we're all football fans, but we all also know football fans are a bit mad, don't we? Yeah,
0: I mean I think. Um... You know, I think there's a, a point to be made about the, you know, the way the team were supported during the game at Man City. And uh, some of that yeah, is that, that, was that kind of, you know, okay, we're losing. We know we're going to lose. We know we're not very good, but we're here and we're going to support the team. And I think, you know, that was brilliant. So
1: I, I do get what you're saying. Um, but like I it will always be three games from a crisis until we're winning the league again. Like that—that that is how it's going to be for years. And personally, I just find it a bit pff, exhausting. I'm just sort of like, we've got—we've got to give it more time. Because, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 well, everyone's different. Everyone's different, right? Of but course. I, but, I, but I think so. Are you? Are you? You're sort of saying,
0: look. What happened in these three games was absolutely shit. Yeah. There's no denying that it was shit. Even if there are mitigating circumstances, even if there are, if you want to put in inverted commas, excuses or reasons, you know, it's not good enough. It's not at the level that Arsenal Football Club should be at. However, you're prepared to sort of put that shit in a box. mm. Go again after the international break, and sort of take it from there, and see where we are. At the end of September, see where we are.
1: I mean, is that that's well, definitely that's where I am. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's where a lot, a, a lot of people are. But I, I, I more mean like we allow a defeat, a really bad defeat, to let us forget everything good. You know, and that's what I struggle with sometimes. The sort of, the the idea that like, and, and but that's because results are paramount in football. I completely get that. Like, and all football fans are miserable. There was a story on The Athletic today that Michael Edwards was leaving Liverpool. The guys completely transformed that club. And from our position where we're sat, we're like, wow, can Arsenal pay that guy a billion pounds to fix us? I saw he a little, is a genius. I saw right? a lot
0: of questions about that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then you look at the comments and it's all the Liverpool fans going, good fucking riddance. <laughs> Wanker didn't get Salah signed up to a new contract. Get him out of the club. When, when uh, City pulled out of the race to sign the 36-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo, the comments on the piece that I read on Athletic were like, sack the board. Sack the board of Manchester City. Okay? Yeah. Like, we live in a mental world of unhappiness. It, like football is a, is a way for people to moan about something. I get that. But also, let's be grown ups. No? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it, we're, we're, um,
0: we're sort of slaves to what they do to us, though, in some ways. You know what I mean?
1: Because we're, we're in this. No, we're not slaves. We're like Granite Shaka. We should be being smarter, we should be being more rational. We should take personal responsibility, Andrew. We can't we're not slaves to emotion. But I want but- a two foot Mikel Arteta James. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. I know. Anyway, I know I feel like this is gonna be like clipped up and people are gonna say, James is having a nervous breakdown. I just suddenly sort of caught myself and was like, come on. Come on. I believe that the club have made the right decision to go with the young players. I really think it's correct. I think it's going to cost us in the short term. I think we're not going to be as good this season as if we'd gone out and bought 27, 28-year-olds. Almost certainly. And yeah, some of these guys aren't even going to play. But I think in two or three years' time, whether or not Mikel Arteta is the manager, it will have been the right decision. And we've been asking for it. We've been asking for it. So I don't. I, I, th- I think our concerns over the manager. I just don't want that to be like, and therefore we have no choice but to set fire to the stadium. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, but I don't
0: know that that's um, what most people are saying. There might be some lunatics out there who are, you know, with the the can of petrol and the matches. But I think what what the. <sighs> We are where we are because of what's happened so far this season. The only, only, only way anyone feels any better is if Arsenal start winning football games. Correct. And we're now in a situation where I think, you know, obviously going into a two-week interlull on the back of losing to Brentford, losing to Chelsea, losing to Man City, and losing to Man City the way we lost to Man City, we're pretty much... It could not have gone worse. Mm. I mean, maybe it could have, but like, I, I can't think of how that <laughs> not would have much, been, not, not much, much could yeah. have gone worse. So we're now in this spiral of despair, unhappiness, and introspection. Yeah. I, I get it, and I, I like the 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 logical part of my head says step back and be, uh, you know, take a bit of distance from it, which isn't really. Easy when you do what we do, but the only way it turns around is if we start playing some decent football, start scoring some goals, start uh, winning matches.
1: And, yeah, they just uh, have to win games. They and, just have to win games. Like,
0: and I think, sorry, uh, just I'll finish this thought: is just that if we had seen some things in these three games that we could hang on to. Mm. We're in these choppy waters. We're we're like heading towards uh you know the the waterfall, Niagara Falls, we're heading over the edge because of the way we're all feeling right now, but and there isn't even like a little, you know, rope or two that we can hang on to um, to give us some hope. So Yeah. That's that's why I think it feels very intense or something
1: right now. Exactly. And I I think like as I said, there's no silver lining right now and there's no positive. But I, I do hold out hope that that's because we are talking about a relatively small sample, of it, you know, in what we've seen so far this season. I accept it's all been bad, um, but I expect that to change. I don't know if it'll change enough to save Mikel Arteta's job. And mm. to be honest, I don't really care. I don't massively care if he keeps his job or not. Like, it's if he goes he goes what I care about is that we we keep following this direction and because I think it is strategically right what the club are trying to do and I don't um, I just uh, I I get I worry that we're just going to sort of get into this thing of like constantly flip-flopping and changing strategy and you're right the strategy isn't dependent on the manager so maybe that can change Mm. Um And also I accept that like many people will listen to this and think one of three thoughts. One, that man is deluded. Two, that man is uh, on the Arsenal payroll and doing Arsenal's PR for them. (laughs) My favourite of the thoughts that occurs. I wish I was on the Arsenal payroll, but sadly not. Um, Or three, that I'm just protecting myself against the reality of the situation. That one and three, you know, may have some truth but I, yeah I have to call it as I see it I think it is going to get better and if it doesn't I hold my hands up and they should sat the manager um but I think it can. Right now I'm prepared to talk about Bernard Leno again if you want me to.
0: Yeah, let's do a few minutes of <laughs> a few minutes of other questions uh, because we okay. haven't really got uh, through a lot. And look, if nothing else, James, this podcast allows us to <clears throat> to sort of talk things out to an extent where, you know, if you go around thinking about it, um Maybe you just sort of give up and start thinking about something else or do something else entirely, like walk the dogs or whatever it might be. But, you know, when you're talking about it, all you can do is talk about how you feel and talk about, you know, what you really think. And that's what this podcast is here for. So, um, you know,
1: that's, that's true. That's it. And people will, you know, uh, people will have their own views and let us know what they are. I'd of be course. interested. Yeah. Um, but do it nicely. Okay, so Marcus <laughs> Ben, Marcus ben Sasson, um, who is on Twitter, said, should Leno be dropped for Norwich? He got off lightly in the post-game analysis because he had to produce a few reflex saves. Uh, but he doesn't communicate well with his defenders and his indecision cost us the first goal, which snapped our fragile confidence.
0: I do think, um, you know, he had a role to play in that first goal, but not... Um yeah i think it, it it doesn't uh take away from the other issues like chambers and the cross coming in and all that kind of stuff mm. i I wouldn't be surprised if Leno was replaced for the norwich game interesting uh, and i'll tell you why um a, I think you know that Ramsdale. One of the reasons that they bought him is you know he's a bit more proactive. Comes off his line a bit more, so maybe he does prevent that first goal. Um, I don't think he stops Man City scoring on the day or anything like that, but maybe that's it. But I think Leno has decided that he isn't going to play out from the back anymore. I mean, it does feel like that, and it? yeah, it does. Like I was, I watched him early on against. Man City, and I watched him in the previous game, and he doesn't want to do it. Like, we're set up to do it, and he won't do it. He waves them forward. I cannot believe um, that a manager who, you know, last season spoke so clearly about what his philosophy was in terms of how we play and playing out from the back. And there's that famous comment, isn't there, about you know, does he get nervous if, it, if he sees his yeah. team playing it out from the back? He goes, no, I get nervous if we kick it long because we know the ball is coming back. That's even more the case now because we literally have nobody to kick it to. We don't have a Bakary Sanya on the right-hand side to flick it on to win the headers. We don't have a towering center forward to hold the ball up we don't have a midfielder a central midfielder with the presence of Patrick Vieira to to win headers you know we're not a big team so i cannot believe for a second that we have decided all of a sudden that we are going to be a long ball team so mm. i think i can't believe what i'm saying is i can't believe leno has been instructed to do what the manager wants his team to do if a team presses you high that's part of why you're playing out from the back right
1: yeah i heard but you and uh, i heard you talking about this on the um preview pod with lewis right yeah. about how we seem to give up on it when teams press us but that's exactly but that's what we should po- want them to do yeah, exactly you, you, it's you like press, <laughs> we play and now look
0: space run 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 score 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 that's fucking football yeah. <laughs> uh, so I I have a feeling that his either inability or his um, unwillingness to do that will be part of why he loses his place. Whether it happens as quickly as Norwich, I don't know. And to be fair to him, he made some good saves, but that's what he does. You know, he's a good shot stopper. We've seen that from him. But if there is some semblance of an identity to how we're going to play football, then surely he's in danger of of losing his place because that's a fundamental part of it is what the goalkeeper does with the ball at his feet.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, it could change. I mean, I think Leno did make some really good saves against City as he did against Chelsea. Yeah. And I think right now, I think he's the superior goalkeeper. Um, However, I saw someone float the idea on Twitter, and I forget who it was, so apologies. I've not been able to find it while you've been chatting there, that it might be worth changing Ramsdale in just to kind of create a sense of freshness and newness in the team. Like I think if we came back after the international break and it was Ramsdale... Gabriel and White with Thomas Partey back in midfield with, with Lokonga. In, in uh, you know he's obviously going to come in for L- hopefully Lukonga next to Partey. For, yeah. Yeah. I, I do think you might just they they compared it to, and I thought this was sort of very smart when uh, I think it was Chesney and Vermalin got dropped. Um, do you, was it after the North London Derby, maybe, mm. and sort of Koscielny and Fabianski? I think came into the team and had a, a and you know and suddenly Kachelny and Mertesacker formed a partnership. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was something to be said for <clears throat> giving an opportunity to people and sort of um, creating a new dynamic. I, and I, I did feel that and. Yes, some senior centre-backs were missing, but I did feel like the communication between the goalkeeper and the centre-halves against City felt very vague and very non-existent. Mm. I found myself thinking, who is in charge of this defence? Now, I don't know that any of Ramsdale, White or Gabrielle are up to that, if they have the communication or the leadership to do that. But I pretty much know none of the ones we watched the Etihad do. Yeah. so I, I would, almost out of intrigue, I'd be tempted to just go for a new setup up at the back and see how that fared because no one who played against City really deserves to play against Norwich.
0: Yeah, well, let, let's lay it out then. Thomas Partey is last season's £50 million midfielder. Aaron Ramsdale is this summer's £24 million goalkeeper. Ben White is yeah. our £50 million centre-half. Gabriel was our £27 million centre-half last summer. La is a nearly £20 million player. Mm. So if you're spending that money on these guys, yeah. get them in the team. Get them it's in the team. It's
1: nearly £150 million pound worth yeah. of, of talent, theoretically. Get them yeah. in the team. I-, I think that may be the way to go. I- I- and I think... I think we have to accept that there may be a cost to that. You know, like White is not used to playing a back four and he might make an error or Ramsdale's a young goalkeeper and he might make a mistake or he might play out from the back and do what Edison did this weekend and kick it off another bloke and it nearly goes in. But I sort of think that's a price I'm prepared to pay in Mm. in, in the name of progress.
0: Well, especially if it helps you forge... An identity in, in terms of your team, who the characters are, who the leaders are, who you can depend on, and how you play. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that's the, that's the important part of this is that you're not just bringing these guys in because you've spent money on them. Of course, you're buying them. You know, it's because you want to play football in a certain way. Why did we, why did we sign Ben White? Just because uh, we like that guy, so we'll sign him. We've obviously bought him to do something specific, to fit in in a specific way. Same reason that we have targeted Aaron Ramsdale, because we want a goalkeeper of a certain profile, and we have decided that Bernd Leno is not it, so we've spent £24 million on a goalkeeper. We haven't spent it on a number two goalkeeper, even though he is the number two right now, right? Right.
1: So yeah, you I know, think these that's guys, fair. Yeah, it's are, reductive when people say why have they spent. I mean, I saw it tweet Why Vassell spent the money on reserve goalkeeper? Well, it's like, well, that you know, I don't think that's um, how they see it moving forward. No, but yeah,
0: no. Um, I'm just trying to think. So that was the Burn Leno question. That was the Burn Leno question. We've done that one. I'm just trying to think if we have got anything. Uh, uh, a couple of quick ones then. Okay, uh, Peter Hust says, "Morning, gents. Do we know what Richard Garlic is doing?" It seems like he's flying under the radar and all the transfer talk only mentions Edu and Arteta. So do you know what
1: Richard Garlick is doing? Hey, I hate to do a plug, but uh, I'm going to write about that this week for The Athletic. Um, but he's very involved. I just think Edu and Arteta are sort of sexier names probably in newspaper stories. Mm. But Richard Garlick is very, very heavily involved. Um, In
0: in in the without you know spoilers of your piece, but I mean in the in the negotiation side of things,
1: he's obviously not a talent ID guy, Um, and I don't think he really can take too much uh, credit for the strategy simply because of when he arrived into the club. But in terms of the execution and actually the negotiation and the getting deals done, he's been a um, uh, mm. Central figure, maybe the central figure. You know, so depending on what you think of the deals, that will affect your view of him. Okay. Um. Hey, here's a question. Yeah. From at Pramod FC, are you still hating the Interlal this time around, like we always used to, or are you glad it's here in this madness? <laughs> um. Uh, it's, it feels necessary, I think. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like we could
0: all do with a break and just sort of settle our nerves and calm down a bit. And hopefully, you know, uh, we might, yeah, I might hate not this one, not this one. And actually, it's weird because, you know, my hatred of the interlol came because I didn't want to be without Arsenal. I wanted to watch us play football. I wanted to watch us win games and score goals. Mm. Um, But as I said at the start, you know, the feeling that I had during that Man City game of wanting to turn off is quite uh, an unhappy feeling. So I don't like it. And maybe this interlull will just come at the right time Um, and we can see what happens with the squad between now and the end of the transfer window and then, you know, take stock. And by next week... I'll be thinking about how many goals we're going to score against Norwich. And then, yeah, that's just me being a ridiculous optimist. I, I get it, but there you go. This is my I have question. to do that. Yeah, go on.
1: Um, what do you expect in what remains of the transfer window? Well, I was going to ask you that. Um, oh, I, okay, go I, on. I,
0: Well, no, you just asked me, so I'll answer. But you can chip in, uh, of course. Okay. I, I... I really hope they can do something about the right back situation because I think it's a problem. I wonder. And I know, you know what you said a few minutes ago about stepping back and taking stock and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, but I do think like the club are very aware of what the weight of public opinion is. You know, they're not blind to No, no. The criticism of of you know, where we are and what's happened this season. I w- wonder if we might get a, hey, look over there. Look, it's a new player. Look. And they bring in a new player and everyone goes crazy because we've got a new player. And it takes the focus off some of the um, shit that we have had like to Like a sort of f- who somehow are kind of thing. That kind of thing. Like, um, yeah, whether that happens or not, I I, I don't know. But football clubs... I think if you talk about maybe football fans not always being rational, football clubs are not rational either. No. like Look at Ronaldo. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. Manchester United bought Cristiano Ronaldo only because he was going to go to Man City. If he was going to go to any other club in the world, they would not have bought him. But just to stop him going to their rivals, their their city rivals, they have... Spent x amount of money on a whatever transfer fee i don 't think it's too substantial, probably something like twenty million, what, 20 million like pounds but uh, Cristiano Ronaldo does not come cheap even at thirty six years of age, even with his past association with Manchester United. Cristiano Ronaldo and George Mendes do not come cheap, so Ooh. they've they 've done that deal. Not because they said, you know what would be just the finishing piece for the team this season, Cristiano? They just did it as a reaction. So Arsenal doing something as a reaction to what's happened in, in this month would not surprise me one bit. Would it Would
1: it make you happy?
0: Depends what it was. Yeah. You know, I mean... I just
1: banged on about how much I love the strategy. So I can't be like, and now I hope tomorrow they buy. Uh, I don't know Cavani. Um, well, I mean, how old is uh, who?
0: Samara? He's only twenty-three. Would people yeah, be happy with be.
1: that? I think they would. I think they would. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I think that would be uh that would be a nice little addition. Um, I don't know how likely that is or not. I think the right back situation is the priority in what's left of the window. Um, but, like, it seems like quite a tricky fit. Like, it feels like what they want at Ryback is quite specific, and yeah, a lot of names that have been mentioned are sort of not ticking those boxes for them. Yeah, that, there was a, a question on the Discord. Sorry to cut across you. There was a question yeah. specifically for you on the Discord from David...
0: Baratunk, who says, I have a question for James, which has been bugging me. Many media reported this summer that we had targeted Hakimi, um, who's now at PSG, who was at Inter Milan. That means we identified the position as problematic and the type of player that we wanted. But since Hakimi has signed for PSG, we've not been linked with any right-backs. Have we just given up? Was he the only one? What's happened there?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Hakimi, the Arsenal's Hakimi address was quite a while ago now. Um, and I don't know, sort of going back into last season, and I don't know if like the profile that they're looking for specifically has changed since then. We have been linked with some right-backs, um, but for various reasons, they kind of haven't worked out. I mean, I wrote about they really like Tyler Adams from Leipzig, who mainly is yeah. a holding midfield player, but can also play right-back. But he has no interest in moving this summer. Um, there's a couple of others... Max Ahrens Max Ahrens although you know from what I understand, Arsenal's interest was never serious in Max Aarons because they had concerns over his ability in the air, which I think maybe tells you a little bit about the kind of right-back that they mm. want, you know, and the way they see that role. I mean, if you think about the way Arteta's right-backs have played, it's always been really kind of tucked in, relatively narrow, joining up with the midfield, whether it's been Bellerin, Chambers, Cedric. Mm. And I do think that they want someone... Who can do that quite specific job? Um, I wonder if they might have to be a bit more imaginative in their thinking or a bit more flexible in their thinking, just to get somebody in. Because I don't know. I mean, we've got four, but you know, there are question marks over all of them mm. for different reasons. Oh,
0: well, and Maitland Niles looks to be on his way to Everton,
1: as we yeah, talk about I some. mean. Well, they're interested. Arsenal haven't accepted the bid as we're speaking now, but maybe they will. I mean, mm. if they do, you obviously want to think, oh, that means someone's coming in, but Arsenal could probably turn around and say, Well, we've still got three, actually. Yeah. Um we still you know, I think two I think would be allowed to go. Um yeah, I really hope they get a right back. Like you, I would never say no to a central midfield player. Um I sort of think you can always take an upgrade in that part of the pitch and it will always be valuable, even as an option. Mm. You know, Even if it's someone who's just better than Maradel Elneny, I think that would be great. Um, I, I'm just trying to think of other areas. I think centre-back, we're covered. Left-back, we're, we're probably covered. Um, goalkeeper, we're fine. Centre-forward, doesn't seem like Lacazette's going anywhere, so I can understand mm. Not someone not coming in there. So I think that's probably it. And I think we're going to see outgoings. And to be honest, I think outgoings could be a bit of a free-for-all. Might, it's just a question of, like, who we can sell for what. Um Or loan you know, for what. Or loan for what. I mean, there are certain players that we kind of have to accept bids for because they've got no clear role um in the squad. You're thinking of… Eddie. Yeah, I am thinking of Eddie. I'm thinking of Runason, to be honest. I mean, we've got four goalkeepers listed in the first-team squad. He's, you know, Mm. not one of those that we would want to see playing. Um, Even though he played at the weekend, Kolasinac.
0: Yeah, he
1: should be gone. Willian, we're obviously hoping gets done. Yeah. Nelson. All these names um, are available. Maitland-Niles. It looks like it's going to be more, you know...
0: Uh, filling a, a trolley with players and pushing it down a hill rather than a trolley <laughs> dash to bring loads of players in?
1: I don't expect a trolley dash. I mean, a lot of people have drawn the comparison, obviously, to 10 years ago, 2011, mm. heavy defeat in Manchester. I think what's worth saying is that in that preseason, we hadn't brought many people in by that stage. It was sort of Jovino and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think, Um, and we'd lost a number of very important first-team players. I don't see us repeating anything like that, but I think they will do everything they can to get a right-back. And, I mean, to be honest, I think in the summer they felt like maybe we can get away with the right-back one. But the first three games of this season Mm -hmm. have shown that may have been incorrect, you know? It definitely was. It
0: definitely was. Okay, very final one uh, from Ali, who says, is Willian really walking away for free, or is this Arsenal PR to prevent further backlash from fans? In my opinion, Willian has been paid off. He says William, but Willian, I know what he means. So,
1: damn you autocorrect. So, I don't know the ins and outs, is the honest truth. If he has um, torn up his contract without compensation... I will use Michel Arteta's word and say that would be almost unprecedented. Yeah. So what I'm saying now is no comment on the player or the agent. It just is incredibly rare for footballers to not get the money they're owed. It's, it's really rare. So if it has happened, I take my hat off to the player. That is very commendable. But... Um, it would be extremely unusual. Mm. I think it's a gigantic if, in my opinion.
0: Um, Okay, well, look, we'll leave it there. We'll see what happens. between now and tomorrow night um, in the transfer market. We will do, um, we'll have a Patreon podcast for you, a post window analysis podcast for you on Wednesday. So if you want to join us for that, if you're not already signed up, patreon.com forward slash arsebug. James, are you feeling okay? Feeling good? Feeling like you've talked
1: it out? Yeah, you know, it always helps, doesn't it? It does. It It always helps. Talk to a friend, it always (laughs) helps. I think, um, yeah, just a little thing on the window. Like, I really hope Nketiah and Nelson get moves. I really hope for their sake they do. Yeah. like, Like, setting aside what I hope Arsenal get for them or, you know, what I think about their Arsenal careers. Just like... They're young players who I've invested a bit of uh, hope and emotion in as academy products. And um, Mm. I feel like they've wasted a lot of time and I want their careers to blossom. Uh, So fingers crossed something gets done for those guys. It'd be a real shame for them, I think, if not.
0: Yeah, I think it would because they're not going to play very much football and, you know, nice. for someone like Reese Nelson, who should have gone on loan last season, it would be terrible for him and his development. And, you know, his best friend in football or maybe real life as well is Jaden Sancho. And the two of them came mm-hmm. up around the same time and were very, very highly thought of. And you look at what's happened with Sancho, who who went away uh did great at Dormond and now he's got to move to Manchester United. I'm not saying Reese Nelson is capable of that, but I do think if he went somewhere and went to the right club and and uh, you know played well he opens doors for himself. Um, And yeah, I hope that happens. You know, I want uh, these young guys to do well. So fingers crossed um, that they get their moves. Okay, look, we better leave it there because we've been going a long time as ever. Thank you very much indeed uh, for being here. If you've made it this far, fair fucking play to you. Uh, We love you very much indeed. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.